Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series. If you know, guys, that you have been, those of you that have been with us, we've been in this series called Heroes. And so we've been looking at the lives of, of men and women in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, last week, we looked at, at the life of Joseph because it's Christmas time and in the Christmas spirit. And this week, we were scheduled, and we still are, to, to look at the life of, of Mary. And in light of what took place with the, 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 the tragedy and the crisis in Connecticut on, on Friday, um, and let me just say this, our, our hearts are broken uh, for the families who have been affected uh, by that tragedy, who have been affected by that, that crisis. Um, it's just something that it's hard to get your mind around, and it's just hard to, to even understand. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for the we need to pray for those that have been impacted by that. We need to pray for the, the parents. We need to pray for the grandparents. We need to pray for the brothers and the, and the sisters and, and all of those who, who mourn that God would just give them very special comfort because they're dealing with unspeakable grief. You know, when you look at a tragedy and, or a crisis or when you go through a crisis or when you go through a tragedy in life, and, and, you know, it's inevitable. It's going to happen to every one of us because we live in a fallen world. But tragedy always and crisis always creates strong emotions, right? I mean, there's something about a crisis, and that's why it's so emotional, is because sometimes it just cuts you at your core, and it, cre it can create so many emotions. I mean, did you have emotions this week when you were watching the news and you're seeing the news feeds and reading the newspaper and seeing the pictures? Of course you did. And you may have had emotions, whether it was fear, whether it was anger, whether it was resentment, whether it was just, just hurt, maybe it was worry. I, I don't know what your feelings were. I know what my feelings were when I was watching the news and watching the news feed. And, and there's so many times that, that if we're not careful, that we don't know what to do with those feelings. We don't know how to process out those feelings. You see, there's some people that will just kind of ignore their feelings and act like they're not there and just kind of detach themselves from their feelings. There are some people who just kind of stuff their feelings. But you know what I've learned? I've learned when I stuff my feelings, my stomach keeps the score, right? I mean, you cannot stuff your feelings. And if you're not careful, resentment and bitterness will build up in your life. And that's why the Scripture teaches us this, that we need to mourn in desperate situations. I mean, in other words, it's okay to grieve. And it's okay to process out your emotions and your feelings. That's why Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 4, he said this. He said, blessed are those. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they will be comforted. I mean, Scripture teaches that God is close to the brokenhearted. Scripture teaches that God is our strength and God is our refuge. When there is nowhere else that we could turn, we could turn to him and he will support us and he will encourage us. The deepest types of of mourning, if you will, that you and I will go through in life is the type of crisis or tragedy that you have no control over. Whether it's the death of a loved one, the death of a mom or a dad or a child, whether it's the betrayal of a friend when you've done everything you could to be a great friend, whether it's the loss of a job when you did everything you could to keep that job, whether it's the waywardness of a child, it's a decision of a child that you have no control over, whether it's the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, any of those things. See, the things that are the most difficult for us to process through, the difficult for us to mourn, is when it's in a situation when we have no control. And that's why the Scripture teaches that it's, it's okay to grieve. And it's okay to mourn. Fact is, what the scripture teaches, it is healthy to process out your, meaning, uh, your feelings and tell God exactly how you feel 
as you walk through those emotions. Scripture also teaches us, if we're going to process out, our, process out our emotions and our feelings, Scripture teaches this. We need to be willing to encourage one another. I mean, there's something about relationships, right? There's something about crisis that, that if you're not careful, some people will just kind of isolate and say, nobody else can understand what I'm going through. You will never find healing in isolation. Healing is found in relationships. There's something about that. That's why all over our nation, you see prayer vigils and you see people getting together in churches and lighting candles and, and singing worship songs together because there's healing in community. And it is so important because we need each other. We need each other's support. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's, other's uh, encouragement. I mean, when you see tragedy in Scripture, you always see that healing is found in relationships. And it's so important when you and I process out our emotions that we get rid of our bitterness. I'm just telling you, anger, bitterness... And resentment lead people to do all kinds of unthinkable things. I'm telling you, you need to be willing to process out your feelings and your bitterness. Job 21:25 says this: Another man dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good in life. When you start looking at this, there's no correlation in life between your joy or, or between happiness and your experiences. I have seen people as a pastor that have gone through many difficult things, horrendous things, terminal illnesses, breakup of family, loss of life. And I've watched people go through horrible tragedy and crisis, but they've remained positive and they remained upbeat because they processed out their feelings, they processed out their emotions. And then you know what? I've pastored some people that... They had it all going on, a comfortable lifestyle, a comfortable family, and they complained, and they were bitter, and they were angry. And I'm telling you, there's no correlation in life between the experiences that you go through and your happiness or your joy and your difficulty. You know, you know why it hurts so much when we go through crisis and all of a sudden we develop bitterness because bitterness never draws you closer to God. Bitterness will always drive you farther away from Him when you need Him the most. Bitterness is unproductive in your life. And God shows over and over the dangers of bitterness in your life. In the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, Andy was a banker and he had been in prison for a double murder, a crime that he did not commit. If anybody could have been bitter, it was Andy. If anybody could have had resentment, it was Andy. And so, so Andy develops his friend. His name was Red. And he tells his friend, Red, he says, he says you know what, Red? Here's what I've learned. Fear uh, can hold you prisoner in life, but hope can set you free. And he says, I will not live without hope. And so when we go through dark times, when we go through difficult times, let's be courageous enough to live with just hope. Let's be courageous enough just to, what the scripture says, do not fear. For I am with you to where we have boldness and to where we understand that we live. Listen, let me tell you something. You know the crazy deal about Christmas, and we talked about this last week. Christmas has the potential of having the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, right? I mean, if we're honest about Christmas, Christmas has the potential to have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, sometimes it's not one without the other. 
But for instance, in the Jones household, in our household, highest of highs this Christmas, we're going to have Gavin, our grandson, with us. I, I know I always work him into a sermon, but we're going to have Gavin, our grandson, with us. And we're going to celebrate Christmas. It's going to be his first Christmas. And maybe some of you, it is the highest of highs. It's the first time with a child. It's the first time as, a, as husband and wife. It's the first time like us with a grandson. It's the first time in a long time some family members are with you. But maybe, it's all, maybe you're dealing with the lowest of loves. And someone won't be around the Christmas tree this year that was around the Christmas tree last year. Or maybe it's a terminal illness. Or maybe it's difficulty in your life. In fact, is in, in our house, i got to tell you, we're dealing with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Uh, my dad's been battling uh, bladder cancer for, for almost a year now. And, and last week we got, we got word that, that the chemo and the radiation is not working. And so right after Christmas... He's going to have a major operation, and they're going to remove his bladder. And all that goes in with that, three or four days in ICU and two weeks in the hospital and 85 years old and all that other stuff, it's tough. Talked with a lady right out here after the service, and, and she told me, she said, two weeks ago, we, we, we buried my dad. It's going to be an unusual Christmas. It's tough. A lot of times life is trying to navigate through the, the good and the bad or the blessing, right? I mean, it's almost like stand, standing in railroad tracks where you've got good over here and you've got blessing over, or you've got good over here and you've got difficulty and hurt and pain over here to where it's the highest of highs and lowest of lows to where if you're not careful, you'll say things like, you know what, if I didn't have all this junk in my life, my life would be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect life. Life is learning to deal with the good and the hurt and the pain and difficulty. See, God has not promised any of us as believers exemption from crisis, an exemption from tragedy in life, an exemption for death. He has not promised any of us that, but here's what he has promised. I'll be with you. I'll be with you through the crisis. I'll be with you through the difficulty. Isn't that the meaning of Christmas? Emmanuel. God with us. In other words, that in a dark society that we live in, because we're watching a society just coming unraveled in every area, and many of it across the world. And this is no time for us to hunker down in our homes and refuse, not, refuse to go to any public places because we're allowing fear to control us. Our children, our neighborhood, our community need to see godly people as an inspiration that lead, lead lives fearless and bold and confident in Him. If anyone can realize and understand what we're going through, it is Mary. You have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to look at her life because I'm telling you what, she has become a hero to me in my life as I have studied her life and as I have learned from her. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is part of the Christmas story that we're going to look at. And if anyone can understand what we're going through in life, it is the life of Mary. Mary and Joseph, listen, Mary and Joseph lived in a very difficult society, a very dark society, and we're going to understand that, and you've got to understand that for the culture or for the context of the scripture, scripture. They were living in a dark society. It was dark with, Jer with, with, with Herod's uh, jealousy. It led to genocide when he was jealous of Jesus and all the worship that was going on. He passed a decree, a law that said all babies, all male babies, two years and, 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 and younger should be put to death. They dealt with the oppression of a government. The Roman government was, was oppressive at the time. The time that they lived in was very dark. It was very dark with poverty. 
It was very dark with, with, with violence. Oh, and guess what? In Mary's day, it was not popular to be a believer. See, in Mary's day, much like our day, you could follow any, you could, you could claim faith in anything. You could claim faith in any religion. You can claim faith in worshiping a tree, a rock, creation, a person, whatever. And you know what? In Mary's day, you could have multiple gods. You could worship multiple things, and nobody cared. In Christianity... Once someone lifted up the name of Jesus Christ, they were put to death, they were persecuted. See, it wasn't popular in Mary's day, just like it's not popular in our day, to speak, speak the name of Christ or to say Merry Christmas in some settings. So Mary can understand. Here's the, here's the verse, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel uh, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Here we go. The Lord is with you. In a difficult, dark society, the promise was this. God is with you. I don't care what you're walking through this morning, whether it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, by the authority of God's word, God is with you. And we have great hope in that, and we have great confidence in that. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold... And uh, I mean, here's the focal passage. Here, here, here could be our life verse. This was Mary's life verse. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the, Lord, and the angel departed from her. Mary was about 14 to 15 years of age. She was a teenager at this time. She was raised and lived in a very small town. And her whole world was turned upside down when God revealed his plan for her and for her life. And the scripture says that she was greatly troubled when she heard the news. You know what that means, greatly troubled in the Greek? That means that she was petrified. That means that she was scared to death. Listen, but Mary was a woman that had great courage. Listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not denying your fear. Courage is not, having fear, is not having fear. Courage is this, trusting God in spite of your fear. Moving ahead, taking that next step in, in, in spite of your fears, in spite of your worries. That's why in Scripture, the Scripture says, fear not. Fear not. Ha do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Have courage because I am with you. And Mary had great courage. You know another name for, or word for courage is faith. Mary had faith. Her faith wasn't in a dark society. Her faith wasn't in, in her circumstances. Her faith was not in what was going around her. See, Mary understood. She was grounded. Her faith was in God and God alone. 
three things I want you to remember this morning about Mary that is an example to us, just a strong woman. And, and Mary was a hero. And you know what? On Friday, there are a lot of women that were heroes that day. There is the principle. that saw the young man and she ran towards him giving up her life and saving the lives of children. There was a teacher that was so passionate about what she did and so passionate about her kids that she used her body as a shield and protected her kids and saved their life. There's another teacher that hid her classroom and hid her kids. And told the perpetrator that they're in assembly. They're not in the room. There's that other teacher that had the presence of mind to just take her kids and hide them in a bathroom and just reassuring them how much she loved them and how much she cared for them. There's another teacher that put paper over the window so he couldn't see in. And she gathered the children around her and, and she read the Christmas story to them. There's something about the Christmas story. There's something about Emmanuel, God with us. And the teacher talked about the peace and the calmness that it brought to her class and to her students. Three quick things about Mary's life that is an example to us because she's a hero. The first one is this. Mary had great passion for God's will. Mary lived a life, even in a dark society, even when Christianity was not popular, even when people made fun of her and judged her. Mary had great passion, great desire just to do God's will. Listen, God's will will not happen automatically in your life. Just because you become a Christian does not mean God's will is going to happen in your life. In other words, that there has to be a desire that you want to see that happen in your life. And Mary was this type of person when God came to Mary and said, said I'm going to use you so that, that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in the flesh, will enter this world. And you will be a vehicle in which he'll enter the world. Look what Mary says in verse 46. And so Mary said, first thing, my soul magnifies the Lord. My trust is in him. I worship the Lord. And she goes on, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will just call me blessed. And so Mary had great passion for just doing God's will, just following him. Let me ask you something. Do you really desire for God to use you? Do you desire for God to use you in a dark society, in a society that's just coming unraveled with no moral compass and no real foundation? Do you, one of the ways that you know is two ways, a couple of ways that we can see in Mary's life. She had these two attributes. The first one is this, Mary had great enthusiasm for following God. I mean, the scripture says, when she says, my soul glorifies him, see for Mary, this is no grin and bear it. This is no ritual that she's going through. This is no religion that she's dealing with. This is not a bunch of do's and don'ts in religion. No, this is a relationship with him. And this was no grin and bear it. I mean, this wasn't for Mary acceptance or tolerance. This was eagerness. Mary had this great passion and she desired more than anything in her life just to honor him and to follow him, even when it wasn't popular. That was Mary's message. I mean, she had great passion. She had great enthusiasm. Uh, our English word enthusiasm basically comes from two Greek words. It means this, or two words, in, theos. 
It means this, in God. If you want to have great enthusiasm in life, it is in a relationship with him. Listen, never, nothing great has ever been co- accomplished without enthusiasm. Nothing great has never been accomplished without great passion for what someone was doing. And Mary was this woman that had great passion for what she was doing. And she wanted God to use her desperately. Remember King David? It was said of King David that he was a man after God's own heart. And, and Psalms 40 verse 8 gives us an insight into why he was a man after God's own heart. Here's what the scripture says. He just said, I'd like to do your will. In other words, it's not a religion. It's not some ritual. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. I mean, it is a relationship that I have with him to where I know that I am secure and I have peace. And he says, oh my God, your law is within my heart. You know how you know that you have passion for him? The same way with David and the same thing and the same thing with Mary. The way that you have passion for him is when you spend time listening to him. Let me ask you, do you open up his word daily? Do you, do you life journal? Are you listening for Because God can only use people that are listening to him. And Mary was this type of person. I mean, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, but, but Mary treasured up all these things. What did she treasure? His word. And she treasured his word. And she pondered them in her heart. Pondered means to have the habit of listening. Pondering means to contemplate. Pondering means not to just read his word and go on about your day, but to take his word and apply it to your life and apply it to your choices and your priorities. Second thing about Mary's life, and the reason she's a hero to me is, is she was willing to participate in God's will. In other words, she participated in God's will. You see, God's will will not happen in your life automatically. It just won't happen. I mean, it starts with a desire, and then you have to make a decision. You have to join in with what he's doing. You have to make a desire to uh, make a decision to participate in his will. In other words, Mary had this goal. Mary had a goal to never say no to God. See, it didn't matter to Mary whatever God asked her to do, she was going to do. That's really about when you know that you are following him is when, you know what, you just say, God, I don't care what you ask me to do. I'm going to say yes before I even know what you're asking me to do. I just, I just never want to say no to you. See, when, when the angel told Mary God's plan for her life, Mary's first reaction was, wasn't find someone else. You know, this, this is going to be really uncomfortable. This is really going to be difficult. God, I'm sorry. I got my hopes and dreams. I got my ambitions. I got my goals. I got my priorities. I got all of those other things. And so, you know what? God. Can't you just find somebody else? See, Mary, when you look at the text, could have declined God's will. And, but Mary desired God's will to where she says, My soul, I worship him. My soul magnifies the Lord instead of, instead of panicking in a dark society. Mary praised him and prayed to him. See, Mary understood this. It is about the calling and not the comfort. It's really what that verse is talking about. It's about the calling and not the comfort. If we're honest, in fact, is Jesus was honest about this. There's a cost to following Christ. If you were to tell God in 2013, God, 
I want to follow you this in 2013 at a deeper level. And this next year, I want to be closer to you. I want to read your word. I want, to f- I want your will to happen in my life. I want your plan. I want to be in the center of your will. It's going to cost you. There's always a cost to following him. There's blessing, and there's huge blessing. But there's always a cost. It may cost you some priorities. It may cost you some values. It may cost you some relationships. It may cost you some priorities in your life. But I'm just telling you, there is a cost. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, then take up your cross and follow me. Look at this, verse 31. And behold, when you conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary decides to pay the cost. Mary decides, you know what? May it be to me as you have said. And she makes that decision. Watch this. Behold, I am, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're a serious Christ follower, do you understand this is your fundamental identity in this world? If you're a Christ follower, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you follow him, this is your fundamental identity in this world that I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me. May my life line up with his word. May my life line up with his word that I know to be true and that I know to be from him. See, that was Paul's life. The apostle Paul started every letter in the New Testament. He wanted you to know two things about him before you even read any of his writings. He wanted you to know his name and then he, wanted to know, then he wanted you to know who he was. He started every letter off the same way. I, Paul. So he wanted you to know his name. And then he went on. I, Paul. A servant of Jesus Christ. What would happen at Fellowship of the Rockies? Because I'm telling you, this community needs us. This world needs us. This world needs believers that are bold and strong and desire to do his, his will and desire to follow him, that know that they, that, that they can trust him and they can live in a life of an example of other people. What if every one of us would fellowship the Rockies with, with God's promptings would say, absolutely, I am a servant of the Lord. I'll do whatever he asks me to do. When people around you in your home or in your job or your profession, your career, uh, your school or your neighborhood, when they are suffering, when they are dealing with loss and they are dealing with crisis and they are dealing with tragedy and they have no hope, what if you saw yourself as a Lord's servant and you could speak into that and you could minister them and you could encourage them, you could give them the hope that is within you. See, many of us have names that God has already placed on our mind and our hearts. Names of people that we should invite to the Christmas Eve service this, this, this Monday night. And you're kind of in that decision-making process. What if I ask them, will they say no? Will it get kind of weird between us if I ask them to come? Should I tell my family that, you know what, i got a commitment to Christ and I'm going to honor him. And as a result of that, I may be a little late to Christmas dinner. Or you could go with me. I'm telling you. What the world is looking for, they cannot find it under a tree. They cannot find it in a present. Most of us already have more stuff that, than we even need now. 
The greatest gift you could give someone is a changed life. The greatest gift you could give someone is a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes everything. What if every one of us would move to this place that we would say, I am a follower of Christ. I am a disciple of his. My soul magnifies him, and as a result of that, I am the Lord's servant. You see, when you looked at Mary's life, it cost her, and it will cost you. It costed her, her, her reputation. I mean, here she is a virgin. Here she is betrothed. She's engaged to Joseph, and she's, she's pregnant. How is she going to explain that one? What is her parents going to think? What are the neighbors going to think? I mean, there are people probably going around that community saying, well, boy, that's a dysfunctional family. I mean, they're denying the obvious. What is everybody going to think? Not everybody believed that her pregnancy was somehow some kind of God thing. And here's the crazy deal. She lived with that for over 30 years. See, it was 30 years before Jesus performed his first miracle that validated who he was. It costed her her, her her reputation. Listen, I'm telling you, in a dark society, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, if you're going to be a servant of the Lord, there will be people that will criticize you. There will be people that talk about you. There will be people that judge you because when you're a servant of His, that is not popular. You see, but Mary, Mary desired to do His will and participated in it. It, it also costed her her, rep, her, her comfort. I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and there in Nazareth. How would you like to be nine months pregnant and take a donkey ride uh, several miles? You think that'd be comfortable? Or be a, a teenager that is, that is having her first child in a foreign city in a barn and without any family around them? Do you think that would be easy? Absolutely not. Then once the baby is born and once Jesus is born, Herod gets jealous and he has this genocide. It's all male babies. Two years and younger need to be put to death. And Mary and her husband have to flee to Egypt. Listen, God's purpose in your life includes problems. God's purpose and plan in my life includes problems. There's a mystery to suffering. There's a mystery to his will. The third and the last thing about Mary's life is this, is that Mary persevered in God's will. In other words, Mary was this woman that just continued on and she just persevered regardless of society, regardless of what was going on, regardless of what was popular or not. And Mary had great courage. I mean, Mary was this woman of just deep faith that even though she was honest with God and says, I am greatly troubled and I have fear. See, she moved ahead. She took a step of faith in spite of her fear, in spite of her, in spite of her concerns, even when Mary didn't have all the answers. And guess what? This morning, we don't have all the answers either. We can't explain what's going on in our society. We cannot explain the violence. We cannot explain the decisions. We think we cannot even explain what is going on globally. But we know who we can trust. See, the reason God worked in Mary's life, Mary was not afraid of the supernatural. There's some of you, you are scared to death of the supernatural. You are scared to death. There's some of you who don't even believe in miracles. That God doesn't perform miracles like he once did. I know you do. Thank you. <laughs> Mary was a lady that, you know what? She wasn't afraid of the supernatural. You know the reason so many people are afraid of the supernatural? Because they're afraid they're going to lose control of their life. 
They're afraid they're going to have to give up control. Jesus and Mary go to a wedding, and they're at this wedding, and the unthinkable happens, and, and all of a sudden, the host runs out of wine. And so, Je- so Mary walks up to Jesus, and this is before his, his earthly ministry. So the, Mary walks up to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. Now, Jesus knew what that was code for. Jesus knew that's code for fix it, get wine, take care of it, right? I mean, I learned that from an early age when I was growing up in our home. And my mom, ne- you know, she'd say, out of sugar. You know what? I knew what that meant. Go next door to Miss Betty, get some sugar. That's, she never asked. It's just like out of bread. When I got to drive, you know what? Now, you know, those of you, you know, when you turn 16, you become like your parents' taxi service and run errands all over the place. And so mom would be cooking, and all of a sudden she'd run out of something. She'd say, out of butter. I knew exactly what that meant. That meant get butter, right? You know, uh, Karen and I, we have a fire pit in the backyard, and we, we have a fire together, and she'll look over to me every once in a while and says, wood's low. I know what that means. Man, we now know where all this got started, right? <laughs> they don't really ask you. They just tell you there's a problem, right? And you're supposed to know. So we know that when someone says that, that's code for fix it. That's code for take care of it. Well, Jesus knew that. Jesus got that. And so Jesus kind of pushed back a little bit in the story. And all of a sudden, you know what? Mary wasn't afraid of miracles. She wasn't afraid of the supernatural. She was a woman of great faith. She listened to her son, and she turned to the servants. She said, you do exactly as my son says. Because my son will take care of this. Mary had great courage and she persevered. And God, when you read her life, she persevered all the way through. When Jesus went to the cross after being beaten and bloodied, and Mary saw his son die. And he went to the cross and he was beaten and he was bloody. And all the disciples had run away from him like school kids. Even one of Jesus' closest friends that said, I'd never leave you, never deny you. I'll die with you. Denies him. And then cusses to prove that he'd never met him. That had to be a gut punch to Jesus, right? That was a very bad day. Let me ask you, what temptation do you have in denying Christ in your settings? What temptations do you have in some of the settings that you travel in of just kind of denying that you even know him? Denying that you even attend a church? Under what set of circumstances did you just cave? And don't tell anyone you're a believer. Years back, I was invited to Washington, D.C. with a bunch of business leaders for a handful of business leaders from Pueblo uh, to talk about the Army Reserves and some of the reserve things that go on in, in the armed services in, in, in Washington, D.C. And I knew I was the only pastor from Pueblo. We left here and went to an Air Force base in, in Denver, and they, they flew us in um, there. And we got in, we checked into the hotel, and we started our work session. We started our, our, our meeting, and we went around, and we started, people started introducing themselves. And all of a sudden, people are introducing themselves, and I realized, you know what? There's some pretty high-powered people around this table. I mean, they're given their titles, and they're given, and I'm listening to their titles, and I'm listening to their achievements. And you know what's going through my mind? What am I go- how am I going to introduce myself? Am I going to tell them I'm a pastor? Am I going to tell them I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who was a carpenter, lived 2,000 years ago? He went to the cross on my behalf and rose again and lives today? Am I the only one that deals with this? 
What am I going to tell them? And it got to be my turn. And so I just looked at him and I said, my name is Charlie Jones. I'm the senior pastor of Fellowship of the Rockies. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. To where? Now, their response wasn't like yours. <laughs> Some were shocked. They, it's like, how did he get in here? And, and to where you could feel the air just get sucked out of the room. And to where one man lifted up his glass, his drink, and he said, very nervously, he said, well, if we had have known that, we would have had you pray for the food. <laughs> See, there are some that think that's all a Christ follower can do. There are some that think that's all a pastor can do is maybe pray for the food, do a wedding or two or funeral, and then we, we're good to go. But what areas do you cave at? Uh, this, this summer, I did, a, I did a wedding for a friend, and it was just this huge wedding, and, and a lot of his employees were there, a lot of business contacts and people he worked with in Pueblo, a lot of relationships in that room. And I will never forget, I never heard a father of the bride speech or a toast quite like this by the father of the bride. And he got up, and he grabbed the mic. And he just simply said, It's amazing what happens. When you align your life with God. It's the amazing of the blessings. When you just align your life with God. And we're so thankful for our son-in-law. And what God has done in their life. And it's just so amazing. And I would just encourage each one of you. Just to align your life with him. See sometimes we don't understand the influence that we, that we have. See Mary had great courage and she had great faith. I mean, she followed him all the way to the cross. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was at the cross, Mary was there standing at the foot of the cross. Mary understood it was calling and not comfort. I mean, she was at the cross. She was encouraging her son, supporting. She stood with him. Mary would rather be put to death than not stand with her son. And I still think it means an awful lot to Jesus Christ when we are willing to stand with him. Regardless of the cost, Regardless of what society is saying, Mary's life, I'm telling you, challenges me greatly. The last time we get a glimpse of Mary is in, in Acts chapter 1. And Mary still views herself as a servant of the Lord. She's still doing things exactly what Jesus had told her to do. And Mary is his true hero of mine. And she should be a role model for us. And you know what? She should especially be a role model for young girls. Our girls are living in tough times, wouldn't you say? Every day their minds are filled with pencil-thinned, airbrushed, sexed-up women. Is that any kind of a role model? Most of our young girls' role models are in and out of jail, in and out of drug rehab centers. And they are messed up. Most of our young girls know more about the Kardashians, Lady Gaga, uh, uh, Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus, Britney Spears, if maybe you're an older girl or whatever. Then they know about God. What would happen if our young girls knew the intimate details of Mary, of her vision and of her passion and of her courage and of her strength? I mean, I ask you, are girls supposed to be following models that aren't following God? Wouldn't it be something if every young girl had 
heroes in their life that they could pattern their life after. There were heroes in that school that day. And guess what? There are heroes in this church. I am so proud of the women of Fellowship the Rockies. Man, this is a church with a lot of young girls that they could pattern their life after. From the women's ministry that sees hundreds of women come together every week. They pray for each other. They encourage one another. They support one another. They minister to one another. There is story after story after story of life change in that ministry. We have, minist- we have women in this church that sit on, that, that delegate or administrate large, large ministries from, from, uh, from, from uh, Beth Buchanan and Impact Ministry that leads into the schools, into Beulah Heights where we have adopted and, and all of our local ministries and, and all of those things from, from Jerry Marr. Remember Jerry Marr that during the Waldo Canyon fire how God lifted her up and God used her greatly in that? We have women in, in large leadership roles in this church. I mean, I'm telling you, Fellowship of the Rockies would not be the same without you. We have women serving in every area of ministry here. We have some ministries that wouldn't even survive without the women of this church. We have about 414 ministry partners that serve with us. 261 of those are women. We have role models for girls to follow, whether it's in the children's ministry, whether it's in our student ministry. We have women in this church with great passion and great enthusiasm for God's will. There's a group of ladies a few years ago that got together and God had laid on their heart to start a prayer shawl ministry. Never heard of that in my life. And they'd make these prayer shawls and they were, their goal was and their passion was and their vision was to give them to hospice patients or give them to people in the last stages of their life. And they'd make these prayer shawls and they would pray over them and they'd write them a card about the church and about God and all of those other things. And that ministry has grown, and God has blessed it. And do you know, hospice in Pueblo, every hospice patient gets one of our prayer shawls right now. People that just need hope. Listen, I'm telling you, this place would not be the same without you. Our world needs people that have passion for his will, that will participate in it, and that persevere regardless If you're not in the game, if you're not serving, I am begging you, get in the game. Consumer Christianity is this. Takes, but never gives back. It's all about me. It's all about my reputation. It's all about my comfort. It's all about my priorities. You will never find peace in consumer Christianity. You will never find real blessing I'm begging you, find a place of ministry. Our society, our world needs you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what is God saying to you as a result of his word or a result of this message? Maybe this morning you have realized that you are not a follower of Christ and you have never accepted him and you have never started that relationship with him. My encouragement for you this morning, that's, the first, that's your first step. That you just ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of, of your sins and give you the gift of newness of life. We'd love to help you in that transition. We'd love to help you in that. Maybe you're a believer and you know it. 
Let me ask you this. You in the game? Are you serving him? Do you have a passion for his will? Are there some people around you that you just need to invite? And not worry about your reputation, not worry about your comfort, not worried about what they're going to say. Listen, I'm telling you, we're playing for keeps. There's something about tragedy, right? There's something about crisis that helps us understand what's important. That's why you hear person after person on TV and in interviews talk about, when I heard the news, I just went home and I just hugged my kids a little bit longer. I hugged my wife. I hugged my family. I was more thankful for my family than ever before. You see, there's something about tragedy that helps us clarify our values. See, before tragedy, sometimes our values are on things that can go away. And we realize, in the midst of tragedy, it's in relationships. It's in relationships with one another, and it's in our relationship with Him. You can lose your home. You can lose a loved one. You can lose your job. You can lose a marriage. You can lose your income. You cannot build your life on anything, any of those things. The one thing that you cannot lose when you have a relationship with Him is Jesus Christ. So build your life on Him.